the history of personal computing. History, history, history of personal computing. The history of personal computing. Hello, vintage computer enthusiasts, and welcome back to the new incarnation of the History of Personal Computing podcast. This edition of HOPC is a leaner and shorter version of our previous show. Instead of being like tour guides at a museum, here we're two collectors and we're looking at things from that vantage point. It's been two weeks and we're back together to continue our look at vintage personal computing by looking at eBay auctions. I'm your host, David Grealish, and let's all give a warm welcome to my co-host, Jeff Salzman. Hey, Jeff. Hey, David. I think you spelled cohort wrong. You spelled it co-host. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My cohort yeah, co-host. Jeff. Hopefully my bandwidth will hold up. I won't sound like a Cylon. Anything new in your life in two weeks? Uh, actually, in in my amateur radio hobby, there's something new. Oh, do tell. I got myself a new new radio. Some people, it's like, oh, a new radio. Yeah, big whoop. Um, Is it no, literally got, like um, new, new? or? Actually, it's new to me, but they don't make them anymore. But it's one of those radios that everybody likes to have. Oh. I don't know how familiar you are with ham radio and how it all works. Um, the different types of radios they have radios that do basically. And I'll just sort of make layman's terms out of it. Shortwave. Uh, uh, that's everything from about two megahertz up to about thirty megahertz. And then ham radio operators can have what they call VHF bands and UHF bands. Just different sets of frequencies we're allowed to use. And usually you have to buy different radios to use some of the more more popular ones. But I just recently picked up a used uh, radio that takes care of everything, all in one little cigar-boxed um, size case, which normally they're big radios that you have to deal with. This one's nice and portable, runs off of AC. I kind of power it off of batteries, too. Hmm. Um, and it was something that I've always wanted. It's called the ICOM 706 Mark II G, and it basically covers everything that I can care to use for all amateur radio frequencies on one nice little uh, box. And I've always wanted one. And when I first saw them over 10 years ago, I've always wanted one, but they were discontinued from the market. And they were still hot items on, like, eBay and stuff. Um, they still carry a pretty hefty price tag, but they're built so well. And I finally found somebody who was selling one at a price that I was willing to pay. Oh, where now, did you uh, find it? it? Like Craigslist? Uh, no, actually, on... on um, there's a ham radio enthusiast website out there called QRZ, or actually it's pronounced oh. QZ. Oh, yeah. Uh, dot com. Um, and there's swap meet type stuff there. So I bought it uh, through the swap meet. Most of the people there are trustworthy enough. So I sent him money. He sent me radio. And now this was about two months after I bought myself a big radio to do some of the things. So I was actually using two radios for two different parts of the hobby. And now I have it all consolidated into one okay. radio and that I can take with me, take camping. Um, yeah. Real nice stuff. People who are into the amateur radio hobby are probably familiar with the radio and, and what its capabilities are and you know, the conveniences it offers. But um, I can't wait to get a real antenna mounted at this house to uh, put it to use, put it through its paces. Well, I have something I can talk about with which sort of ties in. It ties into your love your, of a, another hobby or related hobby. And mine too, some, I guess. But um, so here in my office, I actually broke out. I have, um, I have three reproduction radios. So um, two of them are GEs from the, the late 80s, and they reproduced a cathedral radio from the 30s. Oh, yeah. And so these are actually pretty well-made ones, unlike sort of the cheaper knockoff you know, fake old radios that came out with like remember the, a lot of them, the, Thomas and Crosley. And, yeah. Well, well, okay. So I have two of those and then I also have a Crosley and it's from you 1998 have... and it's what's called a teardrop. Um, yeah. Style is from like a late thirties radio. So it's very nice. And also this is when Crosley, I, I, I would argue they were making a little bit better reproductions than it's just an AM FM 
Yeah, the name was passed around because Crosley actually did make radios back then. Yeah, and, right. They made uh, real ones. Yeah, they made good radios stuff, and I, the name passed on, and it and somebody's trying to capitalize on the name, and yeah, they were making some good repro radios. Some of the later stuff, I don't know. They, it's like they're trying. Um, Making all the combo, you can still buy Crosley stuff, CD like Crosley record player players. burners, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And, and at that point, it's like, okay, I mean, I can understand. You want something to work, yeah. You want it to look a certain age. They work great for that. Um, so, so what I, so what I did was, yeah, you know, they'd been out in the garage. I haven't really messed with them too much. And the two GEs, I knew that their their dial lights didn't work anymore. And yeah. um, and then so I also turned on my Crosley one and it has like a tuning light. It was okay, like a little yeah. red light, which in this case, it's not a functional one. It just glows all the time, but that light was burned out. And I, so I decided, you know, what, I'm going to finally fix these darn things. I took the backs off um, first on the GEs and then unscrewed the, you know, it's not much of a radio in there. And anyway, and I figured it out and I found the little lights and I'm not, I'm not a big tech head really when it comes to that kind of stuff, but the little light bulbs that they use are called um, grain of wheat lamps. Are you familiar with that term? You know, I may have seen them. They're like really thin. Yeah, they're just like a little thin sort of bulb on, that has two yeah. wires coming off of it. And I and so this was all new to me. So it was kind of a fun little thing as I yeah, I found like out grain of wheat. I found out about grain of wheat lamps. And I and here in my area we have fries, which is uh, used to be you oh, know lucky you. Yeah, Radio Shack would be a handy. What Radio Shack deal. should be. But anyway, so I was able to go to Fry's, and they were like $2.49 a piece. Could have got them cheaper online maybe, but you know, I was able to drive over there and get them. So I bought three of them, and then um, I fixed them all. So now the little dial lights. Like fries. See, I don't have a Fry's around here. The closest one to me is probably at least five, 600 miles away. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know it's... what they have. I just hear good things about them. And they actually had grain of wheat bulbs in yeah. stock. I don't wow. know. They're always seemingly like they don't have a lot of customers, so I don't know how... I don't know how long it's going to last, to be honest, but, but it was kind of cool to be able to go buy a little electronic parts. But so I fixed the two dial lights and the GEs and then the Crosley, I fixed a little, you know, all I had to do was clip the old bulbs out and strip the wires and tie them together and use some electric tape. But I was kind of proud of myself. I fixed them. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> great. And, and, and you keep that uh, original natural look to it. And yeah. And you can see what you're, you're dialing on it. Yeah, on, on the flip side of things, I actually have the old tube radios that a lot of those are modeled off of, mm -hmm. and I actually replaced their dial lights with LED lights. <laughs> oh, okay. I know. Um, they're just a little brighter, um, and it's one of those things. And they'll last that, longer. That the filament bulbs will go out over time. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's really weird. It's like I wanted to keep it original, but I thought, you know, incandescent bulbs, they're just hard to... Uh, they're going to be harder to find, too, going forward. Yeah, and LEDs... It, it, it was an LED bulb for, that I used for a pinball machine. It had the same kind of base, and it was a 6-volt bulb, and it, it worked just fine. But, yeah, I don't know if you can find them in, like, grain of wheat bulbs unless you can somehow work a very tiny LED element in the same thing. But hmm. Yeah, I would think th you that could. wasn't your goal. Your goal was just to get the light working again. Yeah, right? yeah uh, so I just tried to just copied what the original thing was. I find it fascinating that you're able to find something locally. Yeah. Oh, they have a big aisle of all these kind of stuff. So. Oh man, I gotta make a trip sometime. I just, I just gotta. I, I would probably have to have a, a lot of money and a hotel room. And they sell 3D printers too, which I don't know a lot about. I know you have one, but they actually have um, a brand. I guess I, I, they might be the maker brand of um, 3D printers. I think they have three of them. I think the cheapest one's like 800 bucks, and then you know, it's I think, not too bad. I think the it goes up ones... like 1,200, $1, $1,500 dollars. The maker ones, they're they're built well. Um, if you want a good turnkey, I don't want to really worry about anything. You spend the money, you get a you know one of the maker make brand ones. You're you're good to go. I me, I just kind of one day you rough it a little bit, and I spent three hundred bucks and and about a weekend of assembly and and then crossing my fingers a few times. Yeah. And you know getting it working, and I use it. It it has its quirks. You know I might have to realign it every once in a while because. You know, it moves or gets nudged, and the frame is a little, little wonky. But yeah, uh, yeah. One of these days, I'll just put the money down for uh, something that's just built to run. But I needed to get my feet wet in the 3D world just to know where I'm going from there, and I don't want to invest a whole lot of money. So moving right along, we we yes. have a couple of things we chose as news items. So I chose this because. Um, 
it came to my attention that next week is the 30th anniversary of the announcement. I, th- I think that's right. Of well, anyway, of Windows One. So we're at we're coming up on 30 years of Windows. So I found a great article. It's actually from July, I think. Yeah, July 30th of PC Magazine. And it's um, it's, a, it's a slideshow. So when you have a chance, check it out. It says, here's what we thought about Windows 30 years ago. This was released when Windows 10 came out. So that's why they did this article. But it's interesting. And uh, it's got a cover from February 86 uh, when the first version of Windows came out. And they're comparing it to some of the other windowing environments at the time. Um, so it just goes, it's just, I guess they're just showing a history here. It quickly goes into 91, then 92 when Windows 3.1 came out. Anyway, interesting quick read and a yeah, slideshow. the era where, was it Steve Ballmer had that famous uh, video advertising where he would... Uh, developers, developers, developers? No, no, he, no uh, not that one. This was back oh, when yeah, yeah. this first came out. He sold it like it was a late night uh, as seen on TV. Probably. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yep, and you can find that pretty easily on YouTube. If it was for the original Windows, or if it was for like Windows 2.0 when they were trying to rebrand it or remarket it, I'm pretty sure it was for Windows One. It was because I was like 1985, 86 or so. But um, anyway, so you should maybe we might see some things in the news about that. Oh, it'll make its rounds. That's for sure. But uh, Windows One was not that impressive. No, I, I saw Windows 2 once. The first time I saw Windows 2 was back in the early 90s, and I thought, all it is is just a task switcher. Yeah. Really, <laughs> with a graphical task switcher. Well, as as primitive as the Mac OS was, or the system software back then, in 1984, 85, 86, around this time, I just think it still looked far more perfected and just, you know, worked better than, exactly. than any of the early versions of Windows. Amigo. OS. Yeah, and Amiga too. You know, dragging windows of different resolutions all down the screen. An Atari gym. Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess it wasn't Atari. Well, yeah, I guess it, it did ship with the well, SDs. Well, they used gem-like interface. So go ahead and tell us about Q-Link too. Q-Link. Uh, well, the one link came to us from one of our listeners. Um, they requested that we put this on the History of Personal Computing website, and I haven't been following up on the mail, so I just saw it. Um, and a gentleman by the name of uh, David Wilding, I believe I pronounced that right. I'm actually wearing my reading glasses. I'm at that age now. Um, he put together a very comprehensive write-up of what Quantum Link was all about. And Quantum Link was the first online service dedicated to Commodore computers, uh, Commodore 64 specifically. And he has a what I believe is a, a rather well laid out um, web page. It's a long scroll. There's a lot of stuff to read, but he breaks it down the whole quantum link environment in its bits and pieces and talks about what it did, uh, sometimes what it do, some of the features it had, uh, little tidbits about the 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 different features and services or what what did they call them? They didn't call them the room. They called them. Uh, sections i guess um anyway yeah i I can't think of the word either yeah i'm sure there was some name that designated each of the areas chat rooms areas forums chat room was one of them commodore information networks for people who wanted instant help about their commodore computer software showcase file downloads center news and information yeah you can even and, and like get stock information boy who ever thought you could do that on a computer um, order, you could shop online. They also had an auction site of their own in this. And, and of course, a lot of this existed. Tickets. CompuServe was around already at this yes. time, but this, this brought CompuServe it. CompuServe was text only, but this brought all the color to it. Yeah, and brought it to the Commodore, of course, which was, you know, a low-end computer. But Yes. Yeah. And then apparently Apple Link came out, and he talks a little bit about Apple Link, which is mm-hmm. something either similar or he was just, Showing it for comparison. Oh, it's based on Quantum Link software and created by Quantum Computer Service. Yep, for so Apple. In conjunction with that. So I guess Apple wanted a little bit of that pie for themselves, too. Well, I worked at an Apple dealer in um, 89 and 90. And I remember I remember inter- internally um, using the Apple, uh, and I'm going blank, the Apple Link network. Yes. So, you know, a lot of people may not realize, of course, that Quantum Link, the company became AOL. 
so they wrote AOL. And know? there was also a PC link too that was done with Tandy Corporation. And then and then also Apple during the bad years, you might say, hired AOL to make uh, eWorld, which was built on Apple, you know, the AOL rather infrastructure, I guess you'd call it, or the found the structure. Yeah. Uh, eWorld, am I saying it Platform. right? I'm going to kick myself. I can't remember the name. It wasn't it e- Apple eWorld, right? Uh, see, I don't know too much about the Apple side. I know <laughs> eventually Prodigy came out, and then they were as competitor, competitors to America Online. Prodigy was yeah, like, it was it was eWorld. Too. So, all right, and then there's another link there that we added. Yes. That, uh, so if, if you actually wanted to uh, try out Quantum Link, and if you have a little bit of time to get, you know, basically you have to roll up your sleeves a little bit and most likely do it with emulation, uh, unless you can get your Commodore 64 hooked up to the internet somehow. Um, guy who calls himself or somebody calls himself uh, Shadow no- M. Um, they're talking about Playnet here. Um, Quantum Link's original environment, the server stuff was for the most part lost or just, you know, piece, only pieces could be found. Um, it was Quantum Link was then reverse engineered by somebody named Keith Henriksen and Jim Brain. That's the other person. I, I met Jim Brain at the uh, um, Vintage Computer Fest Midwest. Right. A very mm-hmm. impressive guy. Um, so they all work together to reverse engineer the data coming out of a Quantum Link software to see what might need to come back. And then they reverse engineered the server. So they were able to reproduce Quantum Link for the most part. It was about 80% complete. Several years ago, I tried it. Um, when it first came out, the Quantum Link reloaded, as they call it. And it worked rather well. And then I just kind of forgot about it. And I think it just went on the back burner of... You know the the whole uh, yeah something happened to it. I don't remember what stuff. happened to it now. I think or somebody couldn't support running it. Whatever the case is, it it is now back. Um, so our second link, which is on a lions lab lionlabs.org server, gives you everything you need to know to set up and get working your own client for Quantum Link Reloaded, and it's. If you want to relive those days, this is this is how you do it. Who doesn't? Um, just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm glancing over some of the information that you can get really detailed depending if you're running Windows or running Linux, um, but yeah, because you have to have sort of like a buffer between you, your your emulator client, or your real PC or real uh, Commodore 64, and the internet. If you do it through emulation, I think you load in a module or something. Thing and it, it simulates the connection. It'll, it'll connect your emulator, probably the Vice emulator, which is a popular Commodore emulator. Um, it does a configuration for you between Vice and the internet. So you can just basically fire up the Quantum Link uh, client software in your emulator and off you go. Hmm. Just create an account. So I'm, going, nice. I'm definitely going to look at this. And, and I think we're going to see like more and more. Based. We're going to see more and more of that going yes. forward. Old environments recreated, you know, emulation. That's Maybe the world. Do Apple Link then. Huh? Maybe somebody will do that Apple Link. Yeah, what's going to be funny is people will probably redo AOL one day. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting. So moving along to the, yes. the auction yeah, sections of the show. So on today's show, we are moving forward from the IBM PC of 1981 and onto a number of other machines from the early 80s. Most of the computers we're covering today are so obscure, obscure, saying it right, that they just there just aren't that many auctions for them. So we're covering six different ones on this very exciting show. Yes, this is the Variety Pack show. So Jeff, you can take it away then with the Epson oh, QX10 again. All right, wonderful. Yeah. Epson. Funny how that Q- happens. X10. This is a funny looking computer. It it looks like, well, it's only about as high, a little, little higher than a, a three and a half inch floppy drive. Um, and the case itself is two. There's a three and a half or five and a quarters. I'm missing the scale here. Yeah, they're five and a quarter. They're five and a quarter. Yeah, because the buttons were on, on the left, not the right hand side. Okay, so these are five and a quarters, but they're like half height, five and a quarters. Um, it's basic. Now the, the auction I have is just the computer itself. I 
I don't think they have the keyboard, nor do they have any kind of monitor. Um, <laughs> yeah, which you're not going to be able to do very much. <laughs> Did these require a special monitor? I, I, I don't remember. I'm almost certain they do. And a keyboard, too. Or they have... Yeah, I'm looking at the keyboard. I'm looking at the uh, close-up picture here. Um, oh, I hate when they put their copyright symbols all over. There's a light pen. There's a monitor interface. You know that monitor connector looks a lot like the Commodore 64. Right. Um, what, what do you call those kind of connectors? Those like Tandy had them, too? They're, they're called DIN. Oh, okay. Round, I get it. Eight, that's an 8-pin DIN. Yeah, it looks a lot like the Commodore 1. And it may just use the same cable but the the colored ends on the end of the cable might be different yeah you know yellow might be video for commodore but it might be audio for one so of these. den versus mini den yeah hmm. and it looks like it has rs-232 has a centronics printer uh the keyboard looks like it goes up front and it's hidden from view for this picture so unfortunately i, I guess i there's so few of these out there. I, I picked the wrong one. Did you pick one of these for your no? For your auction? Okay. No, since it, it turned out we really need, needed to basically it's just cover just six machines, I thought we'd all do one. Yeah, I did look though, and there's only like I think maybe one other one that was live, and maybe one that sold on American eBay recently. So okay. they've never been. Uh, there were never a lot of these ever that I ever seen on eBay. Like, but... Were they custom? systems were they cpm they were C, uh, cpm i'm not sure if they were um like a slightly proprietary cpm i think they oh, might have been like a little bit you had, had to have a special boot i think I, well i guess it's a dumb thing to say maybe a lot, a lot of cpm is slightly proprietary right because it was made for that machine but yeah, i will that's, add that's true. that they not used versions worked with it. i do remember that it used a piece of software called valdox and that was kind of unique that was supposed to be very easy to use for the time. Um, it was a uh, pseudo GUI, what you see is what you get, framework OS, document creation management software. Anyway. Okay, so it's a, a fancy word processor. Yeah, for, for the QX10. Compared to WordStar that you would find on most CPM machines. But it did make that particular machine a fairly like user-friendly, and uh, and it had its it had its uh, little niche following yeah, that it did. Somebody else is selling one. And he says it tests, powers on, ships worldwide, but there's no monitor or keyboard. Hmm. So tested to power on. So you know at least the LED works. And isn't it funny? Like, what did you do with it? Why would it be, ever be separated from its keyboard and <laughs> display? Unless it keep well, okay, uh, completed listing is one that sold for $150. Uh, it powers on okay, but without a monitor, it's hard to say. Yeah, we didn't cover this on the... Uh, on our old show um so we don't have many details it's just an interesting piece of history um i don't think i've ever seen a cpm machine this style before hmm. but that's what makes it that's what makes it interesting and does this guy have any he has the keyboard pictures boy i hate this this jumps all around yeah it's kind of hard to tell the keyboard you know the keyboard connector looks like it's rca I'm looking at this one and it shows it doesn't have function keys like an IBM XT would have at the time, but the keyboard connector, I get very little angle view of it. When I zoom in, it looks like it has like RCA style plug. It has the, the rounded pin in the center. It doesn't stick out of the connector and it has the outer round shield. So this is one that almost, sold. Yes, for $150. But this looks like if that keyboard, if that's really what the connector is, maybe it's some sort of uh, just a two-wire digital or even an analog keyboard, but that'd be too many keys to process analog. It's just interesting. I I don't see a bunch of pins on the connector. I see like one big pin. In the... Yeah. I'm trying to find. Here we go. I finally found it. And the keyboard doesn't have function keys. It has. Um, it looks like it has hard keys for like you know for mailing and printing for you know for that software you were talking about. Oh, and it's really got software. the yellowing going on too. Oh uh, yeah. I guess I'll Maybe do one that. of these days we'll talk about Retrobrite. 
Yeah, you can see where the monitor was. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been near a window, too. Oh, there's expansion slots on it, too. So, yeah, worth a look. If, so if you have one, write in. Tell us about it. Absolutely. Send us a picture. We want to know what it looks like. You know, we need all to... we see is the box and maybe the keyboard. Now, how about your next one? That one is even more obscure. The next two that, that you have. The Grundy New Brain. Had you ever heard of that one before? I've heard of it. Um, I don't think I've ever saw one in person. This uh, this zoom of the uh, yeah I don't even think I saw this at any of the vintage computer fest and this is something that would show up there if somebody had one and this sold out of Denmark yeah this is definitely a hobbyist computer for somebody who wants to compute but doesn't necessarily need an eighty by forty column display mm -hmm. it just has the integrated vac uh, vacuum fluorescent display. Uh, let's see, 10. What well, it output, it had, it had a monitor grams. output and UHF output it, on it. Yeah. So you, it went to a television. It's got a little So it would, it would do basically one line stuff. Did this one work a lot like those little pocket computers at the time? Oh, I don't know. I would, th I guess so. Maybe it does not power up. It seems like, uh, I don't know why they'd bother putting the little display on it at all. That's an interesting inter IO interface. Is that? Did they come with those two, or did you have to buy that extra? It looks like it just gives you um, basically a breakout box. Yeah. You can, you can use this to control outputs and inputs, which was kind of nice at the time if you wanted to build something that was computer-controlled and do it on your own. A breakout box like this would have been perfect for any platform. I got it. I mean, the logo on it looks right. Yeah, so maybe they sold that just looks kind of aftermarket <laughs> it does yeah all right well there's one of your these are you know early if i 80s. find one i'll have to get one for myself one of the the oh, interesting uh, oddball computers at the time so computers had gone kind of generic and i think maybe in some cases there's less uh concern about the standardization really but obviously then that ultimately sort of rose up and killed off everything else Everybody, there was companies trying to jump on that bandwagon. That's what it was. Everybody yeah. had to come out with something. And you can't fault them for trying. Like Auric. Or the Auric 1 here. Oh, yeah, do tell. The Auric 1, which still reminds me of a Spectrum in its style. Was that the earliest vacuum cleaner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Does this suck or not? <laughs> uh Oh, let's see. So, this, oh, so this sold for like seventy nine bucks. That's pretty good. Yeah. Does it say that it worked? Yeah. I wish. I wish we could provide more information. We're just having fun with these auctions to see what's out there. Yeah. I know it's covering so many. Is like, hang on. I'm gonna mute real quick while I grab a sip of water. Used, untested. So that's not so good. You can't test it. So I wonder if it has a unique power supply. This came out of Austria. Uh, yeah, well, let's see. Looking at the back of it, it looks like somebody plugged in one of the holes. Yeah, you can't really see the connector or anything. But that does tell you a little something about, I mean, it's not a lot of money, but it does show you a little bit of how rare it is. I mean, the fact that it sells, you know, it sold for 80 bucks. Was it sold at Dick Smith's? That's uh <laughs> Wasn't that the place down there would sell stuff like this? Well, I think that was in Australia, though, wasn't it? Or was that yeah, England, I too? You said this was from Australia. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Austria. Austria. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> I sound like, what's his name on Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> Austria. Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. Oh, wait, wait. That's Australia. Okay. There's another one that, that's on eBay, and I still can't tell. See, this is, a, which this is, is power good. We can jump and around. And which is what, but... And this one sold, I think. Did it? No. It, somebody tried to sell it for $299. Oh, and it didn't fly? Oh, Vintage Computer Museum was selling it. Oh. Uh, $299. you got to pay a premium for them. Yes, but they, at least they have information about it. Yeah? I can't get to You know what? I don't know if this happens to anybody else. Every time I go to the old-computers.com website, I get a warning from my antivirus that there's a 
um, hide me uh, HTML hide me infection, and I can't override that. Oh, from that person's website? Yes. Vintage Computer Museum. It's almost like it has some uh, Firefox. Well, I'm I use advanced security, and it just warned me when I tried to go there. It it, it uh, blocked the connection and tells me it's infected right, with a Trojan. Uh, I don't know. If you go to their external site or the the eBay store, I go to, no. If I go to their external site, I followed the link in the auction. Wow! Look at the the pictures. I, I wonder. You can get to it. Oh no no! Oh, I just found okay. the link, so let's see. Let's try it. Oh no, that took me to oldmuseum.com. It's not their link. Sorry. Yeah, this one. This one's the Oric One. Yeah, rare auction for two ninety nine. Yeah, rare. And it links to oldcomputers.com, and that ding, ding, ding you heard in the background was my antivirus program. Oh, so going to oldcomputers.com did that? Yes. Oh, no, it didn't do it for me. Uh, uh, Firefox. False positive. On my Mac. And uh, I'm running Sophos. Well, in order for me to go see this now, I have to disable my antivirus software and go into my hosts file, because it probably put a block in the host file, so I don't... Next, so I can save me for myself. Um, oh, this British computer is one of the most popular computers in Europe in the beginning of the 80s. It's uh, competitor to the Sinclair Spectrum. Looks a lot like it, yeah. Yeah. All right, it's, moving along. Yeah, since move along, I'm nothing to see. Play around with <laughs> it's your turn. So I got the uh, Tenno Dragon. Uh, in our list that we're going by, it was the Dragon 32, and this one is a Dragon 64, which I think is just basically is an improved version of what the 32 was. So the uh, yeah, the Dragon, and I've had one of these one. before. So they are basically I almost had one. They're basically sort of a clone to the Tandy Coco 2. Yep. So this one sold for 173 dollars just uh, yeah last week out of Delray Beach. It looks really nice. Back in it the says, late 90s. I walked past one of these in um, a Salvation Army. Yeah, that was selling for thirty bucks. I was on the fence about buying it. This is new old stock. Yeah, this thing looks nice. So basically, it's just like a, a copy of a Coco Two. So very decent eight bit retro computer. And they show it powered up and doing stuff. That's a nice find right there. It is a very nice find. So pretty much it's just the main box, the main computer with a cassette. So not a whole lot you could do with it, but uh, from there, but I'm sure you could find some other stuff. It's like it has a perfect little bit working. more expansion than a Coco too on the, on the left side, on the right side, it has what looks like cartridge expansion. Is that what it was? Same kind of cartridges? I think so. But the left side has uh, an external expansion connector plus a few other probably just for joysticks, maybe video, video on the side. Did they put it all on the side instead of the back? No, there's a monitor on the back. So it looks like it had additional I.O. And so in the info here, so they put a lot of nice info. So it was a company, Dragon Data, it was a company based in Wales, UK. They launched the Dragon 64 in August 84. It was functionally identical to the Dragon 32 and even booted into Dragon 32 compatible basic mode. So I guess it just had, yeah, it had 64K though and allowed 48K to be available for a programmer. So that was a big deal. So Dragon 32 mode is just to keep the memory map the same. Yeah, and so Dragon 32 only had 24K available if you want to program it and stuff. Yeah, overhead for the kernel and the basic. The power button on the rear has been replaced with a Channel 3-4 selector for the American TV market. Huh. Nice. Right. So that was, a, that was a good example of one of these machines and uh, maybe give you a good indication of what they're worth. That sounds about right, $150. For brand new old stock, that seems pretty cheap. Yeah, for the, good the serious collector, I, I, they would put out 150 and probably not sweat it for something like this. Or 173. So next up, I have one that is a lot like your maybe your Auric and some of the other ones from the time. And the description on eBay is ultra rare, Kintab. Aren't they all? <laughs> Jupiter Ace computer with fourth manual and power adapter. Oh, this is out of the UK. Fourth. But Kintab, what is it? I don't know what that means, but we'll see. Sold for... 384 pounds, which is equivalent to $583. Yikes. So how about that? This is just a little computer with the manual and the power supply. But yeah, this is actually a pretty rare 
little machine. And it's got the sort of um, chiclet keyboard, terrible keyboard. Jupiter Cantab's the company. Okay, so only 8,000 were made. That's what's keeping its value up. This is one of my favorites from the collection. Well, don't sell so it. Sell it. <laughs> it's been kept in a glass cabinet most of the time. Hermetically sealed at one and a half atmospheres. If you are viewing this, you probably already know the specifications of the computer. All right, Jeff, go and tell me about him. <laughs> you're, you're viewing this, aren't you? <laughs> I am. I Maybe I bought the wrong reading glasses. Everything is working perfectly. Anyway, so... Well, it's got a keyboard. Mm -hmm. A keyboard. <laughs> am I getting close? Yeah, nice, nice pictures. Nice big pictures to look at. So, you know what? Basically, um, it, it's sort of a competitor for the... ZX Spectrum and you know, but it looks ZX81 like it's and all those. Yeah. So it's pretty much someone might buy this because, um, you know, it's rarity. It's maybe why it's worth worth so, so much. That's, yeah, that's unbelievable. Which compared to, a, you know, Apple one, I guess it's not worth all that much. <laughs> a lot of things aren't. And it powers off a simple power supply. Yeah. Of course, I couldn't plug it in here. And I don't think I have an appropriate monitor for it. Oh, they do show it. They show it hooked up to a television. They're not really showing. Did I miss that? Also, it's got oh, it does show the TV. Okay. All right. So it was kept under glass. Again, another machine from the very the early 80s. So this is pretty much what was kind of going on in the low-end microcomputer market of the time. You know, if you had some money, then, um, you know, you might have actually bought an IBM PC, which was a lot of money, and maybe not the best choice either for a home computer, but, you know, or you would have bought an Apple II, you know, or you would buy a, a Commodore. Oh, I got a VIC-20. You know, yeah, VIC-20 or a, or a C64, and I know I'm missing out what, Atari 400, 800 were around by then, or were, were they? Yeah, they were. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. They came out before the Commodores. But if you were on the the low end, you know, the real tight budget for personal computing, some of these are what you bought. Not not that not the QX10, that first one, but some of these like this these little guys. One thousand or ZX ZX. Yep. And actually, it brings me into the next one, which I think is a little bit later than maybe eighty two. I think it's maybe eighty three. Let's take a look. But it is an Aquarius home computer system which made by mattel two of these oh there are two in it aren't... Oh. i have two. Oh, okay oh i see this has had two boxes and i think this... i have the expansion box it's been packed away a long time ago yeah, you talked about it recently didn't you on yes. a show yes and these were made by mattel am i right yes the same ones who did the intellivision the only thing was it wasn't really compatible to the intellivision right right whereas Clico had the atom that made it somewhat compatible Mattel kind of slipped on this one. And with this system, so just real quick. So this one, the person bought this for $35 back in the end of September, 20 bucks shipping from Florida. And really, what a pretty darn good uh, that find here. That is a here. really good collection because it has software with it. Yeah. And so basically the um, the market or the the focus of these this type of machine was essentially a game system and computer is really what yes. you're getting. It was a it was to compete in the gaming market as an educational toy. So once it, again, it did not run the Intellivision games. No, so it had educational games, and then it, it all utilized cartridges like a game system. So, right, I don't think you could use discs at all or cassettes with it. I I think cassettes were possible. It, it's been a long time since I had mine out. I, I got them boxed away somewhere. And I think I came across them once in the past three or four years, forgetting that I actually had it and, and wanting to hook it up someday. Mm -hmm. But I thought all these, I thought this did have cassette storage as an option, but cartridges were the main thing for them because that's what they delivered their software on. They don't really have a close up of the computer here, do they? And not that, that I see. They took yeah. a lot of big pictures. But this one is especially nice because it includes the. Um, well, they have one sort of close-up, but it doesn't... Oh, there it is. The mini expander. Because they didn't all include that, or did they? No, that no. was uh, that was an add-on. Yeah, so the they have the mini expander. expander and um, So pretty neat. 
and especially for the money. So, you know, here's a system. You keep your eyes open. You can pick up pretty cheap. That, for whatever reason, they've, they've never been appreciated. These have not ever been very well respected, even in the well, collector's didn't market. Too much. Yeah, I guess well, here's so. Somebody is trying to sell one for two sixty nine. It has. I guess you're right. I guess they weren't really, and then in the the history of personal computing, they really weren't significant. They didn't make any impact, right? Yeah, they. Well, they proved that uh, Mattel could really flop a product if they. Yeah. Oh, I see the one you're talking about. Two hundred sixty nine ninety nine. That's crazy. But he has Tron Deadly Discs, so... So hopefully the show is inspiring people out there to, you know, take a look at what we're talking about, but, you know, take a look at some of these different machines and uh, follow up and, and see if any more have appeared and what they're selling yeah, for so and so on. Yeah, so if your curiosity, gives you something to do on those boring days. Everybody's got a mobile phone. You know, you're sitting in the waiting room getting your car fixed. Um, scroll through and take a look at some of these things. You know, especially some of these um, these little, uh, what I call toy computers. And some of the ones that have come up this show and the little, um, the, the ZX81 style type of computers. You know, you can collect those as a well, thing. they're endearing, you know, it's just because of what they are. You can, if you have the power supply and a TV that still takes analog input, um, just plug it up and tap away. And just um, like you can pick these up kind of cheap. Just throwing it out there. Let's see if I'm remembering correctly. I'm doing a search for the MX10. Isn't that wasn't that uh, Tandy's like yes. little um, version mm -hmm. of of those machines? That was sort of their almost yeah. It was it was a small version of their color computer, which resembled the Sinclair line, um, but it wasn't 100% color computer compatible. Okay. But I follow some people on Facebook in the TRS80. Coco group. Uh -huh. It's a TRS 80 and Coco. Um, and there's a guy writing assembly code and doing screen um, demos. And he primarily does it on an MX 10. I'm not even finding any um, live or sold. Maybe, maybe he bought them. <laughs> maybe on that. So MX 10. That's kind of interesting. All right. Well, back to. Make back sure to... you're not stuck in a category when you do that. Oh, so yeah. that's it for the the theme ones. So um, so we both also pick a couple of additional just random machines. So go ahead and take it away with yes. your two. Okay, my two, I stuck sort of with a theme. I just went for small, yeah, uh, handheld computing. And here's systems. an example. You can pick these up fairly cheap all day long. Yes, the uh, the TRS eighty model one hundred portable computer, very versatile computer. I have one. I. I've used it already for uh, telecommunication with other stuff uh, because it has an RS-232 port on it. The thing runs on like four AA batteries for a long time. Has mm -hmm. a was it six line, eight line? I, yeah, I big enough to be used line sitting here, <laughs> and it probably I, I should take the batteries out of it. Um, but I can almost reach it sitting here. I'm not going to reach for it right now. But it's just this was a very popular computer for. Um, like newspaper reporters yeah. because they can go somewhere, type up their story. The keyboard is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's like a full-size typewriter keyboard uh, and a good feel to it, a good throw on the keys. And they can type up all their notes, hook it up to um, a phone with acoustic couplers that you can get for it. Yep. And they can send their story in to their editors. It, yep, and it ran forever. I mean, you, you can use this on the whole flight on an airplane. Not the batteries won't go dead. The one that I have actually came from a newspaper I used to work at in Jacksonville, okay. Florida, and it was in a back storage room, literally. And I asked, "Could I have it?" And they said, "Yeah." <laughs> but <laughs> See, it was it was used for a long time. Yeah. Now, so that's an interesting one that they were so. I guess because there's so many of those, kind of like the Commodore 64, that maybe that's why they're so cheap still. But a very significant computer, really. Yeah, it, it really doesn't get enough attention for what it deserves and its impact. And you can still do stuff with it. It, it, um, it RS-232, I believe it does 7-bit, or does it do 8-bit communications? It doesn't do them very fast. I think its highest ball, usable baud rate uh, might be 4,800. Mm -hmm. uh, I, like I said, I have to grab mine to verify that. But 
it's just it, the display is easy to read, nice keyboard, some built-in programs for memos and stuff like that. It's stuff that we don't use anymore because we got cell phones that do that. But for what it is, I use it a lot for terminal communications, and it, it works wonderful uh, for that. Even even if you're supporting equipment that has an RS-232 terminal interface, because I know there's some companies that still do that, this would plug right in there and let you do that. And it's you know real easy. Hmm. I think the cable itself that you would connect between the two would take up more uh, area than this device, but it's 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 comfortable to work with. So yeah, I picked that because it's just a nice portable computer uh, from the day. Oh, just by the way, I in looking at that computer, I scrolling down, I stumbled on where I saw the other one we were talking about. Which so it wasn't the MX10; it was the MC10. MC10. So it was the micro color computer. Model MC10, yeah. So it's like here's one for fourteen fifty that hasn't ended yet. Oh really? But uh, yeah, I didn't because I don't have an MC10. Get it? Yeah, I should. But you can find those pretty easy too. Yeah, I'm looking at the same. Oh, there it is. And it's already got two vids on it. Yeah, oh, now here's your next one is also to my watch list. Like here's one you can make a whole theme collection out of if yes. you wanted you know so if you wanted to get started in collecting computers and keep the cost down you can find lots of these type of computers well this particular one the um this is the uh, tandy oh that PC one i've never seen that one before it is um it's every time i load up this one is um huh based off of a lot of the tandy pocket computers are based off of sharp or casio computers Okay. In fact, you can find either a Casio version of it or a Sharp version. I believe the PC6 was based off of a Sharp version, and it it does program in full basic. It just has a single line display, uh, but it also kept memos and stuff. This is just the calculator for the geeks geek. Yeah. You know when if you if you took well, like. I took electronics <laughs> in high school, but this wasn't out. Oh, do you read the description? It says my no, dad. I... My dad bought me this back when I was in college. I never used it. Oh boy, so it's in it... that good of shape, huh? Yeah. Well, this one sold already. It's been so. in this box since the 1980s, early 1980s. Isn't that a shame, though? He never used it. But compared to some, yeah, <laughs> isn't that something? <laughs> but compared to some of the other pocket computers at the time, this one uh, just has has more memory, has a has more for um, for the display and for its ability to easily double as a scientific calculator mm-hmm. uh, because it's clamshell based. A lot of the pocket ones at the time were just just a single form, and so you ha- they had to fit everything into tiny buttons that fit in that single form factor. Well, with this being clamshell, you have your standard calculator buttons on the lower half, and then the top half has your QWERTY keyboard that looks a lot like a Sinclair uh, programming entry. You have keywords on certain keys that make it easy to program. You don't have to type out the word uh, you know, go to. You just type, in this case, D, and it would put the go to keyword in for you. Okay. Just like the Timex Sinclair. But you only got that one line to, to work with. This is This was great at the time when, you, if you were in engineering or something like that, you had to write formulas, program your own formulas, and they gave you one line to work with. It was easy to do that. I had a programmable cal- calculator in, in high school electronics, but it was a Texas instrument, and it didn't have this kind of display, and I couldn't program it in basic. But a fellow uh, student had the PCB2, which was a full-fledged pocket computer. Hmm. So he was writing his formulas in basic. I was trying to use keyboard codes but yeah these there's lots of these out there either casio sharp or tandy version uh just take a long basic computer so let's see so moving on so here's my first one is i kind of stumbled on this and um you know it's it's kind of rare it's definitely got to be pretty rare i don't think i've seen one of these before but it's called it's by moro designs Vintage personal computer collectible. That's how they, what they say about it. And if and in looking at the picture, it's very generic looking. So it says Moro on the display, and the display looks like the same exact case from like a 
would it be an H9 type of display maybe? Yeah, or? It, it has that has that um, 70s look to it, doesn't um, it? Yeah, it's like a Zenith. And then the case looks like an IBM PC Junior case almost. Or Amstrad made a or something, yeah, with a lot like that. Too. But um, so it's called the Moro Micro Decision Computer S100. So it's an S100 and monitor, manufactured eighty three eighty four. There is no keyboard or software disc, but two power cords and a monitor connector are included. So there's uh, and then there's some owner, there's some other uh, owners' manuals and stuff. So this is a, a very late in the game S100 computer, which that also sort of makes it fairly rare. I don't know if there's any pictures. There's no pictures of the inside, is there? I didn't see any. Yeah, but lots of different, um, like, Moro newsletters Back. and stuff with it, which is very interesting. Yeah, so, no inside pictures, which which would be neat to see the S100 bus. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just kind of need, I think, they want uh, 495 buy it now, but you can make an offer. Uh, it's in Massachusetts. So 11 days to go, see what happens with it. But uh, Morrow was founded by George Morrow. Um, you ever heard of him, Jeff? Yeah, the name sounds familiar. And um, so he was one sort of an you know early guy, somewhat instrumental with a S one hundred. So I'm trying to find. Uh, he promoted the S one hundred bus. I'm just we looking talk about up real him quick. S one hundred show. Yeah, so he died in 2003. Looks like unfortunately, but he was part of the early microcomputer industry and a member of the Homebrew Computer Club. So, um, oh, okay, that, that's where I remember here. Then it looks like he was uh, to found North Star Computers. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead, so I could, might, not, might not be reading things he properly. Kept busy though. in the industry, that's for sure. But yeah, so he would, but he was a significant guy in the early microcomputer revolution, and especially with you know S100s. So, so that's that's a pretty neat machine. And lastly, I chose something. So it's not a computer, but you know. Here's a piece that I think is, you know, arguably a really neat collectible thing. Frankly, this one is not in that great a condition, but it's anyway, say what it is. It's a Univac one red anodized reel with nickel tape. And so it's red, and this is what the magnetic tape went on on a Univac computer that would be spinning around. It's got the real prominent Univac written on it. So six inches in diameter. It's hard I, to tell the scale from this picture. Kind of small, it looks microscopic. Yeah. But I think it'd be pretty cool to have uh, something logoed Univac hanging on the wall. Yeah. Use it as a paperweight or something. And a lot of people don't realize this either, but... Um, oh, wait, it's six inches diameter. Use it as a coffee holder. <laughs> Univac used to be synonymous with computer yes. for, for quite a long time. A computer was a Univac, you know, in the 50s, in the early 50s before... They parried, parodied the name on the Jetsons, the Uniblab. Oh, did they really? Yeah, there's a character called the Uniblab. Yeah. It's just and, a robots that a smart robot that would always make mistakes. And the Univac was a continuation of the sort of um in a commercial way of the earlier machines that ended in, you know, like ENIAC and EDSAC and ILIAC yes. and, and all those kind of things. So So I just thought it was neat. If you do a search every so often for Univac, there was a really nice um ashtray. Did we talk about that? Did that come up with our, or, or maybe it was on. No, I don't remember seeing it. Yeah, I guess hosted the RCR recently and I was on the Retro Matcast, so I don't want to confuse stuff. I guess they wouldn't have talked about Univac. But there's a really nice Univac ashtray that was on recently, and I kind of wish I'd bought it now because it's just this very, you know. So it's like a company branded. Yeah, classic, ashtray. big, heavy, round ashtray with Univac on it. I just think that'd be pretty neat. You know, Mad Men Univac ashtray. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of neat. So, Wait, 1960s Univac. Oh, there is another ashtray that's on now. Is $50 there? $50, buy it now. Uh-oh. I didn't see that when I was doing a search. Don't I buy it. In, I that's... just typed in Univac ashtray. <laughs> it might be a different one than you saw, but it's, it's it looks like a soap dish in a way. It's an octagon shape, but the ashtray part of it looks like it can fit a bar of soap. I, um... I know. You still didn't I, find it. Oh, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't searching just then. Oh, I sorry. Like I was listening to you. <laughs> Money's tight right now. Holidays oh, coming up. Okay. <laughs> well, and I was about to comment on it because uh, I would like one, and and I'll look at it. But maybe. Um, oh, what was it? What was I thinking of here? Oh, okay. Thanks for the link. Oh, 
when, remember I bought the um I bought my old TV. And yes. The, yeah, there's the an, there's an antique mall not too far away, and I I found an old 1958 Motorola TV. It doesn't work, but it's in really nice cosmetic shape, and so so I bought it, and it's in my yeah, living it makes room. A nice decoration. Yeah, and I have an old radio sitting on top of it, and then I have this sort of retro. It's like a little round orange light with retro legs on it. I don't know how to describe it. It's from Ikea, but it's very retro looking and it just sort of makes a nice little corner thing there. But I was thinking, but at that same uh, antiques mall, they have a bunch of these really nice old fashioned crystal ashtrays and not too much money, like 15, 20 bucks. And I was thinking about buying a couple of those, just putting them out on the coffee table. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, uh, see, actually what you need to have is those ashtrays that had that were like the tire, the Goodyear one. Yeah. That was like a rubber top yeah. with the ashtray in the middle. Or you need one of those ashtrays that like the like kind of pedestal. Uh huh. And it had the little push thing at the top so you could dump the ashes inside the container. And, and the funny oh yeah, I remember those. Yeah. I was gonna, I, was, I was gonna say the funny thing about them is is like these ashtrays at the antique mall, they're very nice. They're very pretty, right? They're they're crystal and they're shiny and they're really really nice things because they're completely useless other than a conversation piece. So but the ir- irony is, of course, they used to be everywhere in the old days and they weren't pretty at all. Ways too. They were ugly, they were right? Because they had cigarette butts and and ash, <laughs> you know, well, the crushed in them and stuff. If any of them made out of hard plastic. Oh, yeah. Burn marks and remember some of the plastic ones? You, actually, the edges will get sort of melted and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just it's just sort of weird to think and about then came how the beanbag ashtrays, cigarettes, and ashtrays were just everywhere. What? Not even twenty years ago? Uh, maybe a little. Yeah, I think th- certainly through the eighties. Yeah, the eighties smoking was still strong. And, you know, I used to be a waiter for a long time, especially in the eighties when I was in my early twenties and stuff, even mid twenties. And you know, do you remember smoking or non-smoking? Yes. Isn't it, isn't it funny how you've forgotten and, uh, about that in restaurants? long time ago when I worked at McDonald's in the late eighties, we had the little stamped aluminum ashtrays. Oh yeah. Ones. Wow. Anyway. And there was a smoking section, you know, you sit back that area, <laughs> yeah. you can smoke all you want. We should do what we should start a podcast about, um, nostalgia about smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. I used to, but long time ago. All right. Anyway, looks like we're good on time. Vape. Huh? I don't even vape. There's a, there's a lot of vaping stores around here. Uh, you heard of vaping? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they recently um, made people stop doing it at our there. our company. They, they they. Oh yeah. Well, tattoo parlors around here, are dime a dozen. They're, they're just everywhere. Every other block's got a tattoo parlor, and the ones that failed are now vaping stores. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell all the difference if they didn't have their signs because you look at a vaping store, it's it looks like a sauna inside. Uh. Wow, and I can imagine that's a lot of moisture. But pe- yeah, people uh, were I hope doing they that. Don't have PCs running in there <laughs> because that's a that's a lot of humidity. I don't have a big problem with it, but I have I've actually been around some people, and they think that oh, just because this isn't you know real cigarette smoke or it doesn't bother anybody, I can just blow it all around. It's like look, it's still annoying to other people. <laughs> if yeah, I'm right next to you, and you're just blowing. Is, it's- it's not as bad smelling as no as cigarette smoke. No, it's not bad smelling, but they're like blowing it right in your. Not that they're blowing it in my face, but you know what I mean. But yeah, it it actually they generate a lot of. It seems like salt, yeah, salt. It seems like more. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap it up so we stay yeah, in time. Yeah, we're, we're getting off. So it looks like we're doing our next show, uh, eBay Show Three, will be released uh, two weeks from this Friday, so November twenty seventh, and we are gonna be covering two systems. Well, one specific system, the Coleco Atom, and then MSX computers, which fall under all kinds of manufacturers and, and types I think and we'll stuff. Find lots of variety in there. Yeah, so we can certainly find a, a number of those to to highlight in the show. You can find all of our show notes at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. Send feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com because we really would love to receive your email or audio. And I do comments. read them eventually, and I will be too. Um, and also remember send us pictures any of these systems we talk about please take pictures and send them to us and lastly tell somebody about the show write a review on iTunes spread the word on Facebook Google Plus Twitter and so on and so forth and that's going to do it for this time remember caveat emptor and take care of your old computers 
Bye, Jeff. Bye, bye. Yeah.